he admits they weep already for me. Dear Rhett, who is just around the corner, we go through the second half of this week, but if the second half is anything like the first half, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about, even with the weather coming, uh, what the Lord is going to do. I'm excited about this time to be with you tonight. I look forward to it. I've been praying for for this uh, for this one service for for a long time. I think it's over a month ago your pastor called me and given me his plans and asked me if I could fill the pulpit for him. I told him absolutely. And then after I looked at my calendar, I realized, oops, I had already was supposed to be somewhere tonight in a, another meeting. Second Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 26. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You should know that verse. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work as it is written. He hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that minister seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food. Where does your food come from? Let me just ask you that question. Where does our food come from? It comes from Him, God. And so the one that gives us our food, the Bible says, also ministereth seed to the sower. And then it says, and multiply your seed sown. So not only does He give us the food we eat, not only give us, does He give us the seed to sow, but then he also multiplies the seed that he gives us. He keeps on keeping on. And it says, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Verse 11, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. The ultimate end of giving is that it should cause you and I be thankful. After the whole cycle, and there is a cycle involved in how God works in our lives to get us to the point to give. And at the very end, our giving should lead us to this worship and thanksgiving. And if it doesn't, then perhaps you need to re-examine your giving. The primary focus of this emphasis of giving and it is a financial uh, emphasis primarily. I'm going to take the last part of this and turn it into something very practical, but I want you to get the primary teaching of what Paul is telling the Corinthian church. There is a need in the city of Jerusalem. The need is critical. There are believers, many of them young in the faith, nonetheless, they have given up almost everything or lost everything. 
Many of them had traveled to Jerusalem and gotten saved at Pentecost and just didn't want to leave. And many of them didn't leave. And so they're reacclimating to the city of Jerusalem. But in so doing, they have not only burdened themselves, but they, they, they have been sort of picked up by their brothers and sisters in Christ. But the need is great. The poverty is great. So Paul has been traveling around on his missionary journeys, and as he goes, he's telling church after church of the great financial need in Jerusalem. And in particular, the churches at Macedonia have been giving and giving and giving to the point that you just can't stop them. They're, they're in the business now of giving. It's their delight. They They've longed for this. They, they've got a passion now. It's a burden for them. They're going to see this through, and they've been doing it with their own gifts. In fact, look at chapter number 8 and verse number 4. In fact, let's just go back to verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. In other words, Paul said, you know what? When it comes to the churches of Macedonia, I mean, not only were they giving, they just they just wouldn't stop giving. They they were incessant upon giving, and, and what an example they have been. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, I want you to look at what those churches of Macedonia have done, and I want you to use them as an example to encourage you to give towards this great need. They've been saving up. They've been praying. They, they have just gotten into this excitement that is often caught by giving. Not only that, but he said, I want to exhort you to give, not only because of their example, but look in verse number 10. And herein, in, in chapter 8, in verse number 10, and herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. They've been planning this for quite a time to give. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality as it is written. He that hath gathered much had nothing over. He that hath gathered little had no lack. Watch this. But thanks be to God, which puts the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. For indeed, he accepted the what? The exhortation. So Paul says, listen, I'm, I'm, I want to encourage you by giving you an example of people that have been giving. And they've been giving for quite a while, but 
I also want to exhort you to be like those churches. And now he is really, in a practical way, trying to make the application. If you'll get this principle of giving, hear me, you will come to the excitement and enjoyment that those churches in Macedonia had. And here's how you can do it. And he begins there in verse number 6 where I started. But this I say, and this is a principle. It says, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also what? Sparingly. We all know that, and they knew that. This was an agricultural climate that they were a part of. Most of our grandparents or great-grandparents, depending upon your age, were farmers. You don't have to go back too many generations in your family. Is there anybody here that grew up on a farm, maybe? Let's see. Anybody like that? Oh, all right. Anybody's grandparents on a farm? All right. How about great-grandparents? All of my great-grandparents grew up on a farm. Maybe telling my age more than yours. But the truth is, if you keep going back, we, we could identify with this agricultural society. So Paul is going to use what they already are aware of to get this principle across, and it's the principle of sowing and reaping. If what you sow is not much, but sparingly, guess what? You'll have a harvest that is sparingly if you sow on the other hand look at it in verse number six and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also what bountifully and by the way that word is the word we get our word eulogy from eulogio is the greek word somebody asked me this week uh, when their father passes away their father wanted me to preach his funeral. I'm not even his pastor, but he's asked me for years now, Brother Oates, listen, I want you to be the preacher. I want you to be the preacher. Well, I finally met one of his kinfolk, his daughter, who I never met before, and she mentioned, she says, oh, and by the way, Dad has already told me he wants you to preach his, and then she said the word eulogy, which means his funeral. But the word eulogy in the Greek means literally blessing. And God is saying to this church, he's saying, if you want to reap in a bountiful or a blessed way, guess what? You will, if you sow in a bountiful way, you'll reap a bountiful, not just harvest, but also you'll get blessed because of what you have been sowing. Now watch this. Let me get a little deeper. Because he says in verse number 7, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart. Proario is the Greek word, purposeth. The, the, the prefix pro means to go before or to go ahead. The context is when a person purposes in their heart, they predetermine what they're going to do. Now, in the context this is given, it's in giving. Did you know last week we had an annual world missions offering? It was the single greatest offering that our church, since I've been there, has ever taken. But for six weeks at least, I've been saying on this particular Sunday, I want you to be asking the Lord what he wants you to give. 
and then you be obedient and do what God tells you to do. And so long before the offering, I was asking them to look ahead, predetermine, plan it. Paul's saying the same thing here in verse number 7. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. I want you to give because there's a great need in Jerusalem. Therefore, there's poverty there, and you can meet their needs. But not only that, God can bless you as you do. But I want you to think about it. I want you to put this matter of make this a matter of prayer. And then it says, so let him give, not grudgingly. Don't let me put outside undue pressure on you. Can I tell you, I don't, I don't do that. I don't talk about money throughout the year. Uh, most of my preacher friends don't talk about money throughout the year. We may be criticized as though we do, but the truth of the matter is when it comes to giving, there really should be no outside pressure, external pressure, no, no more than there should be inward pain. So if you purpose in your heart, you do it ahead of time, that takes away the inside pain. And if you're not going to give on the spot and people are going to put you under the microscope, then you can, you can take that off the table, this external pressure that sometimes I see. And the Bible says when you remove those two things, look at verse number 7. It says, not grudgingly or of necessity, when you give because you've planned to give and God's laid on your heart to give and you're going to give and the opportunity is now there to give and you give, you know what happens? For God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, God loves a cheerful giver because that's His nature to love. And can I tell you, you can, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. So we've got to get this love thing settled. And not only does God love a cheerful giver, look at what else God does in verse number 8. The Bible says, and God is, what's the next word? Able, boy, you ought to underline or circle that word in your Bible. God is able. Romans chapter 16 and verse number 25 says, Now to him that is of power or is able to establish you according to my gospel. I love this verse, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we Ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. How about this one, Jude 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Did you know what giving does? It empties you of yourself because now you're in this faith realm of giving. See, here's what the natural says. If you give something away, you have less. But the supernatural realm says, no, if you give something away that God has put on your heart to give, you'll not have less, but God will continue to give to you. You'll have more. You'll see that in a verse or two here in a minute. And so all of a sudden, we are not living in the natural, but you and I are connected to something that's supernatural. That's because it takes faith to give. 
Can I tell you that when I gave this past Sunday, naturally I could have said, oh my, boy, there's so many other things I could think of that that money could have gone to. But I've been praying for a long time, a month and a half or more. I knew this thing was a year away, a year away. I knew I've been thinking about this. So it was no problem to give last week. You know why? Because it was predetermined. I had purposed in my heart. And I said, Lord, my heart is open, wide open. Whatever you lay on my heart and you give me, that's what I'm going to give back. And can I tell you when I did? I gave out of a heart filled with love. Now, this is a personal testimony. It didn't bother me at all to put a pretty sizable offering for me into that offering plate Sunday morning because it was going for worldwide missions, which is awesome for me because it's a passion for God. I'm just saying I plugged into something that took faith, but God loves a cheerful giver. And did you know that God, when God sees somebody giving like that, you become a piece of a, a conduit from him to you. And here's the reason. Look at the next verse. Verse number, well, let's stick, let's, let, let me just twist this one a little bit. Verse 8. And God is able to make, and watch this, all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. You kind of get the idea that Paul's really using that word all to play on it a little bit. Do you know why? Because he is, and the reason is, because he's trying to tell you that when you give, and you're giving as God has instructed you and laid on your heart and burdened you, can I tell you, you plugged into something, you plugged into the limitless power of what only God can do. And here's the reason. Verse number 9, as it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness remaineth forever. So now, you're giving. And your life is not directed toward accumulating your life is being directed towards eliminating the needs of others. You've seen somebody have a need, and that's what Paul is trying to say. There's a great need in Jerusalem, and you Christians can be a part of meeting that need if you make it a matter of prayer. And if you'll do that, God will use you, and you'll be used, and you'll be a blessing to them, and they'll become a blessing back to you. And that counseling meeting the other night with that pastor... He's taken many missions trips. He was telling me to Haiti, he and his wife. And Haiti is not the New York City of America. It is a very, in fact, it's probably one of the most poverty-stricken areas in the world. And he was telling me how he would walk down the dirt roads with an interpreter and talk to person after person. And one young man that he talked to, he gave him a gospel track and witness to them. He said, I came back. I was there a year later. He said, I walked down that same road, probably about six miles. He said, I came across that same young man. He had the same gospel track. He had not get, he had not gotten rid of it. And there was something happening between this pastor. There was a connection that God was making between this pastor. And, and he went back and told his wife. He said, man, I, I, I met him again. I met him a year ago. And now a year later, I see him again. And 
there's something going on that the Lord is trying to impress me. And the wife said, well, why, I, I'd like to meet him too. And she walked six miles and they found him again. And did you know that they made it a matter of prayer? And in Haiti, they could only go to a certain grade level. If you're going to high school, you've got to, you've got to be at a certain level to, to just be accepted. And it will cost you money. They have to pay to go to high school. I was paying to get out of high school when I went. But, no, they have to pay. And here's what happened. The Lord put on their heart this, this American pastor and his wife's heart. Let's do something. Let's let our church get involved. Let's do something and try to get him into high school there in Haiti. And they did. And can I tell you that in his years of high school that he, oh, he came back and he had the biggest smile and he graduated and they were delighted and thrilled and, and now they talk and they do this thing. You can see each other on your phones as you talk. And now he's in college. And guess what? They're a part of that as well. And a whole life was changed because of a pastor who saw a need and just reached out and has met just one person's need. You say, but that's just one person. I know, but that's how God works one person at a time. Now look at verse number 10. Now he didn't minister seed, so we're still talking about seed here, this agricultural thing. He that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food. So we've already established this is God. This is God that's feeding us, giving us food. And it's also God who's giving us the seed. Now, why in the world is He giving us the seed? Well, we've already heard back in verse number 6, to sow it. To sow it. And it says, and multiply your seed sown. So He is the one in not only giving you the seed, He's going to multiply what He's given you, which means you're going to have a bigger harvest. Now watch this. Don't miss this. Verse number 10 says, and increase the fruits of whose righteousness? Your righteousness. Now hear me. Did you know that if God has blessed you with a nice house tonight, He didn't bless you, so you could just stand there and live in a nice house. He blessed you for your righteousness as you live in a nice house. Why would He want to bless your unrighteousness as you live in a nice house? If you drive a car tonight and God has blessed you with that automobile, can I tell you He has done it for your righteousness for what good would it do to drive a good car and you be unrighteous or act unrighteous in the car you're driving that God has given you and blessed you with? So all of this is coming back to you, isn't it? I know you were sowing to give, and I know God was using the seeds that you were scattering, and, and as you sowed bountifully, He was giving you a harvest, a bountiful harvest. You know why some of you don't really get blessed when you come to church, though you want a harvest when you come, you walk out without one. And you know why? Because perhaps you did not sow anything to get a harvest. If you're not praying for Brother Booger right now, from here all the way to Sunday morning, can I tell you, don't expect a real harvest. Because you didn't sow anything to get a harvest. You violated verse 6, that principle of 
what you sow. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, and I'm going to tell you something. I had a dear grandmother that taught me this principle. She had gone from a very alive church, large church, dynamic church, and then she was at the age where she had to live with family. But the family that she was living with in her last years went to a small church, rather dead church, I might add. And I said to my grandmother one time, I said, I called her Mimi. I said, Mimi, how do you spend these last years of your life going to a church like this? I wasn't being critical of the church, but I was simply comparing what she left to come to what she had. And she knew what I was talking about. I hope you do too. And here's what she said, oh, son. She said, I always ask the Lord for just one thing. Every week, she said, I pray. And I said, Lord, just let me hear just one nugget. Give, give me one truth. I'm looking for just one thing. And she had a biggest smile on her face. And she said, and you know, when I go to church, I never leave without God answering my prayer because He always gives me something. But she's sowing, you see. You could have a harvest if you could sow. And you can sow in prayer. But let me make it practical now. And this is for your righteousness. I have a pocket full of seeds here. I've got some marigold seeds. Uh, I've got, I can't even pronounce the name of this one. Uh, I can't pronounce the name of this one either. But they're seeds there. They're pretty. They're pretty flowers. The coleus, I can say that one, and I've planted that one. And they're just the littlest things. But i got a little packet of them. And you know, if how many have ever had a coleus plant? I went to this, my high school state fair with coleus plants. Brother Alfred, are you impressed at all? You're not. I didn't think so. But I had coleus plants that I put on a table, about four or five of them, and different colored lights over every plant. And my project, my personal science project, was the effect of colored light on plants. And we used coleus. And I began to watch plants grow differently dependent upon the light that they had, the color of light. That got me to the state science fair. I'd love to plant these... I'll tell you what, I think I'm just going to plant these right there. How many believe they've got really a great chance of growing right there? Not much of it. Now, they have no chance of growing if I don't plant them, if I don't sow them. So, it does matter where, whether you sow. But it also matters where you sow it. That's why world missions I'm excited about. Because did you know there are places in the world where they're open to the gospel more than perhaps Festus, Missouri? question is, why then wouldn't we scatter some seed over in those areas? And we should. If we want a harvest, we've got to put the seed where it has the most potential. Now, wait a minute. Not only does it matter how much seed we sow. If we just sow sparingly, we're going to reap 
sparingly. But if we sow bountifully, we're going to reap bountifully. Now let me take the next six minutes and give you something very, very practical. If you want to harvest, you also have to consider this. And spring is getting ready to spring forward. So don't forget that Saturday night, right? Spring forward. Don't come to church at the wrong time. Sunday morning. But with spring in the air, can I tell you that there are people going to the stores now looking for seeds, plants. They're getting ready to put things in the ground. You know why? Because it's getting spring. It's time to do it. So if we want to harvest, it also is dependent upon not where we sow it, but it's also dependent upon when we sow it. Now, some of you are discouraged when you give somebody a testimony, a witness for Jesus, because you don't see immediate results. Can I tell you, these seeds, when I put them in the soil, I'm not going to get up the next morning and see something coming through the soil. It's going to take a little while. In many cases, we get discouraged because we don't see something not recognizing that He's the one that provides the harvest. Our responsibility is to sow. The Gospel's for whosoever will. I can't grab somebody by the collar and say, you must be saved, or else I'd like to, but I can't do that. So I've got to plant the seed. Don't think that there's nothing happening when under the ground there's a lot of things happening. You just can't see them. One of my dear friends in heaven right now, pastored in this county. Sister Seal just verified the testimony that I had heard when he was just a child. He and his mother were in a grocery store. They came out with their groceries, put it in the back of their car right here in St. Louis. Went on to another store, left their groceries in the back. They had their windows down. It was a hot day. When they got back, the little child, his name was Jim, noticed that in the one of the sacks of groceries there was a there was a, a track, a gospel track. He didn't know what a gospel track was. He was a Catholic boy. He picked it up and began to look at it while his mother was driving home. He put it away. In fact, he put it away for a long time, but every once in a while he'd go and he'd get it out. And then when he was a teenager, guess what? He still had that gospel track and he got it out. And guess what? He got it out one time, read it, and did at the end what it was asking a sinner to do, come to salvation through faith in Christ. And he got born again as a teenage boy because somebody just planted the seed in a grocery bag. And that young man not only got saved and baptized, but joined the Baptist church went to a Baptist college, came back to St. Louis and shook a whole county with the gospel. Man, I'm going to tell you something. That inspires me to scatter some seed. And did you know you could do that? Now, true, there are some people that they just, they're, they just get tongue-tied when it comes to opening their mouth and saying Jesus to anybody, right? We can talk about the weather. We can talk about sports. But, my Lord, when it says... The Lord's not. That's a little difficult. But can I tell you, even if you don't say anything, you could 
hand a tract to somebody. A gospel tract. That's seed. And if you don't, then you just get, what good is the seed in this packet? Nothing. It, this, this seed will be there till somebody opens it. But just opening it, it's not enough. It has to be sowed. So it matters where you sow it. It matters when you sow it. It really does matter how you sow it. And it matters why you sow it. It's for your righteousness. Can I tell you that God has a way of using you in the life of other people in this matter of sowing seed? I would love to challenge you to take a gospel track. I'm sure this church has gospel tracks just coming out their ears. It's not a fact that they don't have it. It's a fact you just don't reach for it. And can I tell you, even if you didn't have to open your mouth, you could... Put gospel tracks anywhere. You could leave them on the table where you eat. You could get really creative. Did you know in bathrooms, I don't know about you ladies' restrooms, but in the men's restrooms, there are little places that have little white tissue that rolls like this. So, uh, there was a time you couldn't hardly buy this thing I'm talking about, but I, in most restaurants I did it, they're still there. And can I tell you, it's so neat to to just take that top layer and put a gospel track under it and then to fold that thing over so that the next person, there's something that will come out. And you say, well, what difference? You know what? What difference did it make when that person put a gospel track in a grocery bag of all things? I mean, you could put these anywhere and should. Did you know Festus, Missouri ought to have gospel tracks in every restaurant. Your church and my church ought to be churches just passing gospel tracts out. Just scattering seed. And yet the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, if we do sow seed, it's very sparingly. Let's pick it up a notch and make it bountifully. Bountifully for your righteousness. Let's bow our heads. somebody that's willing. The Macedonians said, count me in. We're willing. We want to. We, we get this. We've been blessed. Let us be a part of it. So Paul exhorts the Corinthian church, would you like to have the blessings that the churches in Macedonia have had through giving? You can be a part of it. And then he makes it very practical. He applies it to them in a way that they could understand if you want to sow sparingly, then you'll just reap sparingly. But if you will pick it up a notch and sow bountifully, you could be reaping bountifully. Oh, how God loves somebody who's purpose in their heart ahead of time. They don't have an internal pain that says, oh man, I'm going to give up this. No, they're not giving up anything. They're laying up rewards in heaven oftentimes. I'm not even talking about money right now. I'm talking about seed. I'm talking about the seed of a simple gospel track. If I could challenge you tonight to just pick up a gospel track and put it somewhere or hand it to someone and tell them this is some good news. When you get a chance, read it. You could do that. Let's scatter 
see all around our neighborhoods, all around this county. Let's be known as sowers of seed. How many tonight would say, Brother Oates, I'll take your challenge. I know our church has some gospel tracts, some gospel literature. It's not saving anybody. If it's placed in a track rack that we don't ever reach for. But I'm going to reach for a gospel track, maybe more than one. And I'm going to just scatter some seed. I want to get in on this. I'll take your challenge tonight. Would you slip your hand up and put it right back down all over the building? I'll do that. I can do that. That's something I can do. A child could do this. Let's do it. Father, now you've seen the hands. More importantly, you've seen the hearts. Lord, I'd love to have a part in reaching a teenage boy that took perhaps years for the seed to germinate, but thank God it germinated in his heart. There are many others out there that would get saved, and many of them would get saved just by reading a gospel tract. So help us to sow bountifully. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for giving to me, and thank you for praying. And I'll be praying for you. Let's pray for your pastor. And let's expect God to give us a wonderful harvest this Lord's Day. God bless you. Be very careful. Let's all stand.